Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here, and we will be speaking about why life matters. This is one of the most uh, important topics, maybe the most important of all. You know, whenever you deal with issues, there's the root and the symptoms. I speak about this very often. You know, symptoms is what you feel, what you experience, and the root is the cause, the underlying causes that lead you to that experience. Either due to superficiality or due to our being impatient or due to not wanting to do the work. Very often we deal with issues on the symptomatic level, a remedial level, a band-aid, a painkiller. But to truly deal with any issue, especially if it's a fundamental one, it's critical to get to the root. The root, because when you correct it there, then automatically the symptoms disappear. So if you're able to sum up, and of course we don't want to be overly simplistic, but if you're able to some way sum up where's the root of most issues that we struggle with, I would say, many people would say fear, others would say insecurity. I would go even deeper than that and say that in most instances, it's connected to how you value yourself, your self-esteem, and your confidence. Or in other language, do you matter? Do you truly matter? Now, I have tested this, probably thousands, tens of thousands of people, audiences I have spoken to over the years, asking the simple question, do you think you matter? Now, of course, the knee-jerk reaction, the usually the quick answer, of course I matter. I have a healthy ego. I have family, I have friends, I have awards given to me. I've been honored one way or another. But let's rephrase the question, and then it becomes more to the point. If you were never born, would it make any difference to anybody? Remember, once you're here, we all justify our existence, and I'm sure there are many people, some people, family and close people, and many people that have been affected by you. But if you were never born, if you never came to earth in the first place, would anything be missing? Remember, it wouldn't be a tragedy because no one's waiting for you. It's only once you're here that significance becomes important. But if you were never here, was anybody is you missing anything on a cosmic level? Can you say that you truly matter? You're truly indispensable, irreplaceable. And that's when people would get a little more, well, we put it that way, not subjectively, but objectively. I don't know, there's 7.7 .7 billion people on the planet. There are trillions upon trillions upon trillions of different forces at work. How could I be significant? One individual? Would it really make a difference? Again, we're talking not subjectively to the people that care about you, the people that love you, the people that you have immediate influence over. So on that level, if you really truly don't matter that much, or you're negligible, or dispensable, then how profound and how committed can you be to your decisions, to your choices? Because it's in direct proportion. If you don't matter that much, then your choices don't matter that much. And I would submit that many of our so-called optional choices in life are based on the fact that we don't necessarily think that our choice really is going to make a major difference. Because if we did, 
we would take it much more seriously. So with all the technology, with all the connections, so to speak, we also live in a deeply depersonalized world. There was once upon a time, you lived in a little town. Everybody knew you by name. You were usually born and died in the same place that everybody knew you and your family. Today we live in a global village with millions, billions of people. So it becomes an increasingly type of existential dissonance of our true value. And that lies at the heart of so much of what we consider to be important in life. I remember it was um, around the years, 20 years ago maybe. Do you remember in Colorado the Columbine shooting where perfectly, seemingly perfectly normal students came armed and turned on the other students, their own friends, their own colleagues, classmates, killed them, and then killed themselves. It's banality. It's like it wasn't because of any insanity or any grievance or any malcontent. It was just what happened. Unfortunately, we've seen many other shootings in schools and places that were once or were always supposed to be violence-free zones. So I remember thinking about it a lot. And then I was traveling to Sydney, Australia. And I was speaking for a school there. It's a school, a large school called Mariah. And Friday morning, I had a session, which was uh, an optional session. Uh, teenagers from, let's say, around the 12 till 17. Uh, boys and girls had a session with me. And there was uh, hundreds of them that volunteered to, be, to participate. And I opened up the their session with this question to them. Do you think something that happened in Columbine could happen here? I was sure that they would say this is America and violence and so on, and this is a different type of city. It was a Jewish school. And you know what? Most people raised their hands saying, yes, they think it could happen here. And then began a session. I asked people why. Everyone had their own things. Some were childish answers, frankly, and some were quite sophisticated. But one common denominator that remained with me was this, and that was really the point I wanted to make. People spoke about the value of life, the sanctity of life. You can do that easily. When you watch violent movies and, viol- and play violent video games, at some point you get desensitized to the sanctity and the value of life. Though everybody knows life is valuable and everybody will cry, God forbid, if a life of a loved one is taken from us. And yet, because of our overexposure, we can get desensitized. But more deeper than that, if we live in a culture where life is not sacred, and every life is not indispensable, then I'm not suggesting everybody's going to suddenly murder each other and going to kill each other, God forbid. But you already have weakened the foundation, the axiomatic truth that life is absolutely sacred. And if you don't think your life is that valuable, you certainly don't think your friend's life is that valuable. So then combine it with other factors, boredom, over uh, exposure to violence, as I mentioned, other factors, you can see the boiling point being reached and people turning to such violent behavior, even though you would never expect it from completely sane individuals. Was it th- a thrill? Was it an experiment? Who knows? But my focus I want to talk about is how valuable we think our lives are and how valuable we think other people's lives are. You know, one of the, the deeper discussions, when you talk about science versus evolution, 
and so on. And people making choices about whether they will bring life to the world or they will take life from the world when, when people get old enough, too old to be so-called a burden on society. The thing that is most troublesome, and I'm not even getting into the science of it, is once sanctity of life is compromised, once we are in a place where we do not see life being sacred and indispensable, then everything can happen. Because you're undermining the very essence of what makes us valuable. So I remember once counseling a family. The father decided he had enough of family and he decided to basically abandon his family. But he stayed with somewhat contact. And I remember meeting with him and his wife and the children. And I said to him, here's your people that you love, your children, your flesh and blood. Yeah, it's all right, they'll manage. I had a difficult life. They'll, they'll. What's, what I sensed was he didn't value himself, didn't value the importance that he is in their lives, and therefore also dismissed the importance of their life and their needs. So what's missing? What's missing is a lack of an understanding of the fundamental value of life. And that's the critical component that we need to address. So I've shared this story many times. It's just a powerful, powerful story. It's a very painful one, but also a very, a very telling one that teaches us much. This was back when Toward a Meaningful Life, my book, was published. And the publisher sent me on a book tour. One of the cities, of many, many cities, ended up being St. Louis, Missouri. So I spoke there. That night happened to be, it was a Monday night. It was a very large audience due to other reasons, not to get into it right now. Anyway, I come back to New York, and I receive a letter, a letter from someone who was in the audience. She says, I was going to come over. There was a long line to see you, sign books, and so on. And then I chickened out anyway, so I decided to write to you. <clears throat> she says, I'm a 47-year-old executive working in a very prominent firm in this community here. I'm well-respected. I'm considered a success story. I made money, equity, established a social status. By all accounts, a success story. And yet, beneath the veneer lies a woman in shreds. You see, my soul was murdered as a result of the abuse I endured in my childhood, my parents and others, emotional, physical, sexual, psychological abuse. I loathe myself. That has been my story. I've tried many types of therapy. Nothing's ever worked. Relationships are a mess. I don't trust and people don't trust me. I'm always testing and testing and testing, all due to my lack of security and self, sense of self. And I've long given up hope. What I do is day to day, sometimes I feel suicidal. I just breathe in and out and I just go to work. Because people like myself who lack inner control, we create outer control over ambitious, overproductive, a workaholic, driven, 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 somewhat to numb the pain, to numb the vacuum, the deep vacuum. And I've long given up hope as I... Someone gave me as a gift a copy of your book, Toward a Meaningful Life. Though I'm Jewish, completely unaffiliated, have no connection at all. And I was just leafing through it and a line jumped out at me. A line that 
struck me like a bullet between the eyes. The line said, birth is God saying that you matter. I went back and read it again. Birth is God saying you matter. And I read it a third time. Birth is God saying you matter. For some reason, after 47 years, it struck a chord inside of me. I suddenly had this epiphany, this realization, that despite what my parents told me, with words or with actions, that I'm a worthless rag, despite what society tells us, that our value is nothing more than the statistic on someone's balance sheet, based on our productivity, on our youth, on our good looks, on our buying power, on our social status. Despite all that, I matter to the one that matters most, the one that put me to, on this earth, my creator God. And even if I don't produce on a certain day, and even if I don't look good, and I don't, no one compliments me, I have that inherent value. So though I have many years to heal, but now for the first time I have hope, and this is how she concludes her note, quite eloquent if it weren't under the circumstances. The work that cut out for me is to create bypass surgery, to bypass the infected arteries and the infected channels that were violated by the abuse I endured and reconnect to that pure moment, like freshly fallen snow, that pure moment of birth, when God said, you're my child, I love you unconditionally, you're indispensable. No one can take that from you because no one gave it to you. So thank you for giving me back my life. Those were his last, her last words to me. You could imagine, I was crying like a child when I was reading this letter. First of all, just her opening up such vulnerable, raw truth complete, to a complete stranger. I actually went back to read the chapter in birth toward a meaningful life because, you know, as an author, when you write the book, it's yours. Once the book is by readers, the book belongs to the reader, how they see it. Wanted to see it from her perspective. And it was extremely, extremely enlightening to hear it that way, if that's the right word to use. Of course, I wrote her back, offering her support, offering her help in any way. She thanked me. I asked permission to tell the story. She asked me specifically not to share her name. She said, I'm sure people want to call me compassionately or they have similar stories. So she still struggles, but it's years already since then. But I've learned tremendous power and strength from this woman. Because you know what? She hit the nail on the head. I grew up in a home. I'm the oldest of five children. No life is perfect. But my parents were loving relatively functional home. They spoil you, especially as the oldest. So I never asked myself whether I matter. I always felt validated. But she, a person who did not have the luxury of that gift, sometimes the eclipse of the sun illuminates light of the sun in completely different ways. She did not have the luxury. She came to realize the real truth. Because do I matter because my parents love me? And if one day, God forbid, they don't love me that much, my stocks go down. She came to the truth that I came to recognize through her, that you matter not because people love you or because people validate you. That helps, that nurtures. You matter because you fundamentally were put in this world for a unique purpose that you and only you can fulfill. 
And as I said, those that love you, our loved ones, support and validate that is a tremendous asset. Because without that, <coughs> excuse me, because without that, you can be left in shreds like this woman suffered. But on the other hand, the truth of what really makes us valuable is not the, of, of the, that which comes from others, but it's because we fundamentally have value. Excuse me. And as I said earlier, I began asking people questions every, all the time. Do you really matter? And tell the story. And over the years, her letter continues to haunt me in a good way. Because I started thinking, you know what? Maybe that's the underlying unconscious drive and ambition so many people have to be successful and productive. Because maybe they, in an invisible way, have an unconscious fear that I really don't matter after all. So I need to show significance. So we need to really recognize whether we had family that, and, and educators and friends that supported it or not, that you have inside of you, call it a spark, call it a soul, call it a divine image. It's all semantics. The key thing is to resonate, the resonating feeling that there's something about you that's absolutely unique. And when you feel that way, it's not an arrogant trip of arrogance. Because it's not about arrogance, it's about responsibility. It's about obligation. It's about a gift. A gift that we're given, a humble gift that we're given, that you have something to contribute that you and no one else can contribute. As that woman in St. Louis came to discover. And from there you grow. And as I said, if you have the support, the validation, great. Not only great, it helps cultivate that. So really, I would put it this way. Parents are like gardeners. They don't create the flower. They don't create the seed. They give birth, but they need a third partner. And they are the gardeners that nurture, that nourish, that cultivate, that weed out the negatives and that bring out the positives in this child that they have, which is each one of us, to be able to live up to our unique, indispensable soul mission that we have. Reminds me of Michelangelo's words when asked, how do you carve those beautiful angels in the marble? And he answered, I see the angels trapped in the marble I carved and carved and set them free. That's what parents, educators, friends, society at its best does. But the angel is within you. The flower is within you. The music is within you. But many of us are not aware of it. Because it's either been beat out of us, either through humiliation or through invalidation or critique or being silenced. And when you have that happening, what happens is it makes you not believe in yourself. The greatest gift that a parent can give a child is believe in yourself. You can achieve anything you set your mind to. And these aren't just, these aren't just words. This is the reflection of really what makes us tick. Now I know some of you could argue, who says? Maybe it's not true. Maybe we are negligible. Maybe it's nice thought. Maybe it's a good pep talk to keep us thinking that we're really valuable. I'm not here to go make scientific proofs on this matter. I just ask you what resonates more in your life. That you and your loved ones are really insignificant and it's just a nice way of deluding ourselves into feeling good about ourselves. Or does something actually resonate 
that when you, someone tells you you have something unique to contribute and you actually go out and, to, and, and contribute it, that it's actually real. So I don't want to go and get into this in the polemics of a debate intellectually whether I could prove it or not. That may be possible, but it's not really the point you have to make. It's an emotional question. It's an experiential question. It actually can be the factor that determines how you make the biggest choices in your life. And that you don't undercut yourself. And that you don't undermine yourself. And that you realize you have tremendous potential to be actualized. I mean, the list goes on to what this feeds into. That life matters. Why life matters. And it's because you are on a mission, sent here on a mission with unique skills, unique personality, so many things that are unique. Do we have overlap? Of course. I know it's common in the business world to say no one's indispensable. As far as the job goes, you know, someone leaves, people leave, people go, people die, people retire, people move on. But when it comes to the matter of life, every one of us is indispensable. The sad part is that we don't live up to that. So much of our involvements, our commitments, our interactions are not being driven by that indispensable side of us. It's being dri- driven by dispensable elements. Things we conform to, how we entertain ourselves. But inside of you lies a tremendous force, a tremendous voice, a tremendous uniqueness. I quote often Oliver Wendell Holmes' poem, The Voiceless. Alas to those that die with their song still inside them. We have a song to sing, and more than one song, a melody to express, a narrative to tell. And your narrative, no one else can tell your narrative. No one else can play out your narrative. Yes, it's true, we need other narratives as well. We complement each other. But your piece is filling space. And when you don't live up to your potential, the story, that part of the story is missing. So if you think of history as a continuum and all the 7.7 billion and growing human beings as characters in one long, big, large narrative and story, yours is a unique space right there. It doesn't matter how many more there are. This is not a a quantity thing. It's not a popularity contest. It's a qualitative thing. And your song no one else can sing. Now, if you say, so how do I come come to that type of sense? How do I know that? How do I hold on to that? Even if it res- resonates with me, and I like, like to hear that. But I've been beat up. I don't feel validated. So let me go back to the story with that woman. What did she do? She began following different guidelines that are in the book Toward a Meaningful Life, and I'm sure in other places, that talk about how you nurture yourself, how you nurture that voice. And the first thing above all is not just a meditation. You act on it. You go out and do something that you're good at. You volunteer. You use a talent that you may have not used that may be lying dormant. You do things to help others. You serve. And suddenly you feel that satisfaction. I have accomplished something. I have done something for someone today that has helped them. Could someone else have done it? Maybe. But it's not relevant. You did it. And all of existence is enriched by your activity. So number one is behavioral change. To act like you matter, and then you start feeling like you matter. 
I know you made sounds a roundabout way. First, I should feel before I act. No, but behavioral change actually creates, excuse me, internal change. <clears throat> you want to learn how to swim? You get into a swimming pool and you start swimming. Will you be excellent in the beginning? No, but you have to behave as if you're excellent. If you don't believe in yourself, if you don't believe you can do it, you're not going to end up doing it because there's so many reasons not to do it. Others are better at it, I get tired, and so on. So acting that you matter is the key to actually feeling that you matter. Now at the same time, there's also the cerebral exercises. And that is about understanding that you are a unique soul. Learn about yourself. What makes you tick? Someone says, what defines you? So many of us can say what defines me. I have arms and legs, I have flesh and blood, I have bones, I have a body. But let's take it a little further. Is, it that, that, is that it? That's the sack. That's the outer garment, so to speak. The package. What's inside the package? What's inside your package? Tell me. Ask yourself that question. Take a piece of paper. Write down five things that define the inside of your package. So some will say my brain, my mind, my feelings, my loves, my attractions, the things I'm not attracted to, my beliefs, my values. It's all true. But go, let's go deep, even further than that. What else? There's something that I would call a soul. Some people don't like that word, so don't use that word. Let's call it an energy, a unique energy that shapes you. And that in turn translates into your mind, into your emotions, into your faculties, into your talents, into your skills. It's a unique energy. Energy we know is invisible, but it's there. It's beating inside of you. You feel it. Someone says, tell me what you feel like. I'm not talking about a specific sensation. I feel dull. I feel excited. I feel I'm touching something warm, cold. It's vibrating. It's still. Not sensation. What do you feel like when you're just sitting and nothing special happening? You just feel a sense, I'm here. Actually, it's a non-feeling feeling. Because what does it mean to be, I'm here? If I'm doing something, the verb, the action, okay, I'm driving, I'm walking, I'm flying, I'm sleeping, I'm lying down, I'm sitting. But take away all the, all the verbs. What's your state of being, your noun? Say, well, it's, I'm alive, I'm breathing. But the breathing is a symptom. Your heart is beating, your mind is working. There's something that's hard to quantify. But that non-quantifiable element is the unique you. But since we live so much on the sensory level, sensory stimulation, our eyes, our ears, our taste, touch, and smell, so we can often neglect and forget that there's a force within that's not really defined by our senses. And as a matter of fact, our senses can distract us and hijack us. You see something, you draw into it. Maybe healthy, not healthy. What is happening? You're wandering away from your inner self. You hear something, the same thing. This doesn't mean you can't see, hear, taste, touch, and smell good things that help you self-actualize and discover yourself, but can also easily distract us. And yes, the package can become more important than what's inside it. The sizzle, more important than the steak. The form, more important than the function. The body, more important than the soul. So the exercise, the, I'd say even further, the methodology 
to get to know yourself, besides the first point I made, which is to act, is to start thinking about this and through process of elimination come to discover what is your soul compared to your body? What is your stake? What is your form as opposed to function? I'm sorry, what is your function as opposed to form? What is your inner as opposed to your outer? So instead of living a life from the outside in, based on external stimuli, what others are expecting of you, your productivity, your buying power, and all the other things, you start living from within, who am I? Why was I put here? What unique contribution am I going to make? What are my special talents that I can contribute? That's living from the inside out. Not many of us are already on the 90 mile an hour rush hour train, merring around, roller coaster, whatever you want to call it. So we need to pause. Yes, you need to pause. I'm not suggesting you stop everything you're doing, but you have to take time each morning, in the evening, on weekends, on a Shabbat, to pause. Shut down your sensory tools. Don't text. Don't allow outer stimulation to affect you. Shut down your eyes, your ears, your taste, touch, and smell. What are you left with? The inner you. Not defined by forces outside of you, by others' expectations, by your own expectations, by things that are outside of the inner you. And when you get to know yourself, you suddenly realize, hey, welcome. You could say to yourself, hello, I haven't met you in a while. Or I don't even remember you so well. Sometimes that uh, part of us is like the inner child, a child that has been neglected and we left to hide while you play the machinations of adult life with all its masks and its projections, its prejudices and so on. So it's really getting to know yourself. What more powerful thing than that? And that self is an indispensable force. It's an energy that no one else has. Does it have overlap? Yes. Do we need others? Yes. But at the same time, there's a unique energy that makes you, you. So isn't it a great exercise? Wouldn't it be a great objective to find out who that you is? You ask people. I've asked people, tell me. Who are you? And they give you their business card without even blinking. And you say, well, this is what you do, but who are you? Some people respond pretty quickly, fast on their feet. You know something? I have become what I do. What I do has become me. Think about that. What you do has defined your identity when your identity should define what you do. Who you are should define what you do, not what you do should define who you are. That doesn't mean our jobs aren't important, make a living, and so on. But it means, in truth, it should be coming from within, inside out. The best education, I would say, possible is not just giving you an Ivy League education that you can become the best lawyer, doctor, uh, financier, politician in the world. It's the one that allows you to discover who you are. And that should define what you do. That should infuse what you do with a passion that comes from who you are. But many of us do have a dissonance between who we are and what we do for different various reasons, either because we were not taught or because necessities of life have taken over. So now's the time. That's exactly the point. You matter. You have a legacy, a destiny, a narrative to tell that nobody else has, can tell because it's not their story. That should beat out. That should overshadow everything else. 
And again, I'm not suggesting something unrealistic that we stop everything and just go there. Most of us can't, don't have the luxury to do that. But it's a good time to begin to think about it and designate time. So here's yet another, well, in addition to what I've spoken about behavioral and getting to know yourself, more of a cognitive experience, there's also some exercises you can do. Here's the morning exercise I always recommend for this. It's called the Moda'ani exercise. Moda'ani is a Hebrew expression. It comes from a short prayer that's said in the mornings. Thank you for returning my soul to me. It doesn't even say to who you're saying thank you. It's beyond that. It's not names. It's not defined by identity. It's not defined by any specifics. It's the core essence of who you are. Thank you for returning my soul to me. Thank you for giving me a new lease on life. I wake up in the morning fresh, hopefully, and my soul's contract has been renewed. My unique and indispensable mission has been renewed. That's a thank you. That's gratitude. So you're not focusing on breakfast or on exercise or on commuting or work or getting on the phone or coffee or, or tea. You're focusing above all right as soon as you awake, as soon as your first moment you're conscious. It's not even about how much time you do. You dedicate, you designate for that. Even if it's a minute or two. Nobody has a business meeting at that moment. Just let it be pure. Yes, innocent, like childlike innocent. Thank you for returning my soul. Thank you, because birth is God saying you matter. Thank you for making me matter. That I'm not just another number or statistic. I actually matter. You'd be surprised that if you do this on a daily basis, even one minute a day, that part of you that matters, that inner soul, will begin to beckon for more. Because that's what a child wants and that's what our inner self wants. It wants recognition, awareness. Just know that I exist. Not just gifts and trips and videos and so on. Just acknowledge that I exist and love me for who I am, not for what you want me to be. And that, in truth, is the best nurturer. It's like watering a parched soul. Watering a soul that is unique and helping it grow and actualize its great potential. And the same thing in the evening, a second exercise, before you go to sleep, without a newspaper, not with a newspaper on your nose or the television on, a short spiritual statement prayer. I return my soul to you in your trust. So if you in the morning you recognize that inner self and at night you recognize that inner self, Number one, your sleep will be more peaceful because you're not going to sleep with all the troubles of the day. You're going to sleep with the awareness of that uniqueness. You wake up with that uniqueness. And, there, and those are the bookends that hopefully infuse the rest of the day with understanding that everything else is the means to that end. Everything you do, the work you do, who you are is a means, is an outgrowth of what you... Uh, sorry, what you do is a means and an outgrowth of who you are. Try it out. But you have to be consistent, just like you brush your teeth every morning. Just like you exercise, your shower. has to become part of the regimen. So like anything, a new habit takes time. But once you do it, once it becomes regular, you tell me what effect it has. It's not only refreshing, it's revolutionary. And its ability to transform who you are because it focuses on something that most of us never focused on. No one ever told us. You know, we may have been told we're special, 
But no one ever told us that that's the essence of who you are. And no one taught us how to access it. And most of all, we're taught how to conform, how to fit in, herd mentality, not to think for ourselves, not to sing your unique voice. The voice becomes trapped. Most people die with their voice still inside them, with their song still inside them. That's how dramatic it can be. But you have to begin. You can begin tonight. You can begin tomorrow morning. So the things I mentioned were, number one, behave like you matter. Number two, cognitive and maybe even emotional exercises and focusing on what makes you tick. Your inner self, your you, who are you, not what you do. Not defined by sensory stimuli, but who you are when everything else, when you're stripped of everything else. And then the two exercises in the morning and the evening. The two prayers, meditations, whatever you want to call them. But they create awareness, cognition, and awareness of that part of who you are. And then I said, acting on it and thinking about it. Slowly what will happen is more and more of it will grow inside of you and you'll feel it and it'll build your confidence and you'll feel the need, the need, yes, the need, the exciting need to contribute, to feel I have something to unique to contribute, a unique mission. You know, in that spirit, recently we've created a new course, which we're now beta testing. You could check it out. It's called Discovering Your Personal Mission, Midlife Miracle, of helping with the real exercises in a real course. It's an online course, a six-part, that gives you all the tools and methodologies discovering your personal mission, which of course lies at the heart, at the heart of which lies the sense of that uniqueness. The feedback has been phenomenal. People who have done it come back and say, I've never thought of it that way. I've never seen myself in that way. You know, there's nothing nothing as exhilarating as that, as living your life and feeling you're somewhat accomplished and then suddenly discovering a whole part of yourself you're not even aware of or never thought about. So check it out. Check it out on our site, MeaningfulLife.com. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Because this is what we're about. Meaningful Life Center, as its name implies, is life matters. You matter. You're meaningful. Your life is meaningful. Your choices are meaningful. Your commitments are meaningful. Your family. Everything about you has profound and lasting meaning and impact. And nothing is negligible. Yes, there are negligible things. Obviously, we all know superficial externals, and so on. But when it comes to core values and core significance, core issues, there lies within you something that is extraordinary. And I say this from my heart. To me, that is like the greatest thing in life is to celebrate someone's uniqueness. To celebrate the dignity and the majesty of an individual soul. I've met many people, I've traveled in many places, and that always remains a constant in my life, to meet and recognize that within every person lies that unique, dignified soul, the unique journey that each of us are on, with all its bizarre twists and turns. But it's still your unique journey, you're part of the narrative. Because then you feel you met a person that's part of a larger story. They enrich your story, you enrich their story. What more powerful thing can be than that? And it's focusing on what really matters. 
they're focusing exactly when every new child is born. So of course, we all celebrate. It's beautiful to see a new life. But there's something even deeper. We're seeing not just a new life, we're seeing a new, unique force in this world, a unique, indispensable force. And we honor and celebrate it, and we are honored also to interact with it, to cross-pollinate, and to complement each other. So yes, life indeed matters. And it makes all the difference, because when it does, your choices, your decisions, for good or for bad, where you're going to be, what you're going to do, becomes enriched, elevated to a completely different stratosphere, different paradigm, a different dimension, a dimension of significance and lasting significance. That every interaction you have, every person you meet, even seemingly small things, all have deeper dimensions, all part of a deeper story and narrative. It's your unique story. And that, to me, is a great honor to be able to share. So thank you. And hopefully we all can come together and all complement each other, each adding something to each other's story. And as when we intersect and interact, there's a certain interconnectivity. The narratives weave together into a more brilliant tapestry. And that, too, is, of course, a great honor and exhilarating experience. So thank you for that as well. This has been Simon Jacobson talking about why life matters. We're here every Wednesday, a live program, but then it's archived, it's on podcast. You can find us on all different channels and platforms. So please share, please send us your feedback. Please pass it on. Let's all create that ripple effect of different unique souls, all contributing and all passing on the message one to the other, to the point where the human race can reach a higher state of consciousness in recognizing these unique melodies that all of us are singing and how we all need each other and we all need one another and how we are needed. Thank you very much. Be blessed and we'll be in touch.